be seated. God's three institutions, you know what they are, and we could say them in order. The home, God instituted the home. He also instituted government. He also instituted the local church. And uh, in that order, and each of those institutions fill a per- Well, thank you for moving down. I was, I'm like, what are they doing? I asked them to move down, right? And appreciate that, Miss, Mrs. Schmidt and, and Lizzie. Appreciate that. And it would have been okay if nobody did, I guess, but uh, I do appreciate that. The home. God established the home almost immediately following the creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the building block of civilization. That is the home. Genesis 2.24, you can look at that verse. The Bible says... Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. We see that uh, there is a direct attack on God's first institution today. There is a direct attack on the home, on marriage. There's an attack on marriage. There's an attack on parents. There's an attack on children. It is not an accident that the devil has leveled his sights on the home. It is not a mistake. You are not mistaken to see that. Uh, You, I'm sure, would agree that there is an attack on the home today. The second institution is government. If you want, you can turn to Genesis 9. We'll be back in Genesis 2 in a second. But Genesis 9, 6. God has established civil government shortly after the flood when Noah and his family exited the ark, their, the first responsibility given to civil government is found in Genesis 9, 6. The Bible says here, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God made he man. Capital punishment, which our country does Uh, enact at times. Capital punishment is a sober and heavy responsibility. Our state does not have that, but there is, uh, in the federal government, there is uh, capital punishment. I'm sorry, Brother Charles, there might be something wrong with the batteries here because it is turned on. I have the batteries in backwards. That might help. There we go. He's wondering, why is the lapel not working? Is it working now? Thank you. All right. See, if it wasn't for, for Brother Charles back there, I wouldn't, know, I wouldn't know what's going on up here. See, I was wondering, why is it not working? Um, capital punishment. It, um, it is uh, something that God has established government to do. One of the things that government is there to do is to protect its citizens. You might be saying, well, if capital punishment is taking the life of somebody, well, then how is that protecting citizens? Well, government is there to protect innocent life. And part of protecting innocent life is bringing punishment to those who would destroy that innocent life. Uh, The book of Proverbs chapter 6, we talked about this on Thursday night. Uh, There are six things that the Lord hates. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. 
It's a, it, and, and it's one of the problems that we have in our government, in our country, we are uh, a walking contradiction. Because the, con- the country has said that it is uh, against the law to take a life, to take innocent life. That's homicide, murder. But at the same time, the Supreme Court said that it's okay to abort children. I know they've reversed that now, but every state is now deciding where they're going to land on that issue. And so uh, part of the government's job there is not being done, is it? The primary purpose of government is that it would protect its citizens, beginning with that foundational right of life. Our founding fathers knew what they were talking about. That is our right. It's a God-given right. It's not given to us by government. It's God-given. But government has been established by God to protect life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and so on. Wouldn't you agree that there's a direct attack on the purpose and the function of government today? The home is being attacked. Government, God's other institution is being attacked. The third institution is the church. Matthew 28, you don't have to turn there, I'll read this, but the mission statement of the church is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. This is a command that was given to the church. Uh, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Sadly, even doctrinally sound churches today have given up on evangelism. They're not out soul winning. They're not out preaching the gospel. There's no evangelism program. Many have given up. God didn't tell us to give up. He said, occupy till I come. He says, stay busy. You need to be out there in the highways and the hedges and compelling them to come in. And so there's an attack on the home. There's an attack on government and uh, uh, authority even. If you think about how that uh, the government being the protector of people is not, has been not allowed to do their job and has not done their job. And then you see the attack on the local church and the function of the local church. God's three institutions are under attack. But God can fix the home, Amen. All of the things that are broken with the home, maybe even your home. God can fix your home. He is, uh, he is able to put everything back together that is broken. He is able to repair and restore relationships. You might say, well, my relationship with my spouse or with my children or with my parents is beyond repair. Yes, it is beyond repair, maybe. But God can take that which is broken, which is beyond repair, and can miraculously, supernaturally put it back together. Man can't fix it, but God can always fix those relationships. He always can do it. Do not lose faith. Do not lose hope in the power of God and the power of prayer. God can fix any home. God can fix any relationship. Um, God's uh, able to fix uh, the government. You might be saying, well, yeah, I don't know if, if we should just start over maybe. And, uh, you know, with how corrupt everything is. But you know what? I'm not too worried about it. Because God is ultimately in control of everything. 
God is in control. You might not think that. You might be saying it's all falling to pieces. It is falling apart. But I believe if you study the word of God, that it is falling into place. All of the end times events are falling into place and man can't stop it. The devil can't stop it. So guess what? We're gonna trust God in this. But you know what? There's an opportunity for us in this country to actually uh, participate and uh, help to uh, be that salt and light. We still have a voice. You might say, well, I don't think so. I don't think my vote counts. I don't think this matters. I don't think people listen. Oh, my friend, uh, you have not had uh, the uh, unfortunate uh, uh, opportunity that some have. Some have grown up in uh, a dictatorship or under communism. They have not ever had the opportunity to have a voice, but we still do, I believe. I think we still have uh, some freedoms in this country. So uh, instead of becoming all doom and gloom, say glory to God, I still believe that he has a plan for even this nation. As wicked as this country is, as godless as this country is, America has turned its back against its it's uh, 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 against God and against its historical uh, roots. But praise God, I believe that there is still hope for even revival in America. So do not give up. God can fix the home. He can fix the government. And God can fix the church. It is only by the grace of God that we can or have done anything. Think about how God has helped your life. There's somebody that told me this morning during the handshaking time, they said tomorrow is the one-year anniversary that I've been clean. Amen. Amen. God can fix any problem. He can fix and right the ship. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't take any credit for success, the success, the awards, the accolades, or any achievement that we've accomplished. I'm a firm believer in hard work and discipline, and I think that dads and moms, we need to teach our children to be uh, hard workers. Hard workers. We need to instill character into their lives. But it isn't going to be hard work alone that will fix any problem. Relationships are going to require you to, to do some things, to be uncomfortable, to sacrifice. But you're not going to fix the relationship in your own power. Lamentations chapter 322, listen as I read these two verses. If you want to write them down, you can. The reference is Lamentations 322 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It would be good for us to take the phrase, it is only by God's grace. Take that phrase and attach it to any achievement that we have ever achieved. Anything we've ever accomplished, it would be good for us to say, it is only by God's grace that I was able to do that. Because God needs to get the credit. Any breakthrough that we have, any victory that we have, it is only by God's grace. And number one, we give him credit when we say that. Number two, we keep ourselves humble. You say, well, I, I quit smoking 10 years ago. 
by God's grace, right? You could add that on there. Or you could say, I, I quit this five years ago by God's grace. I, I stopped doing this a day ago <laughs> by God's grace. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it is only by his mercy that we can do anything. It's only by his grace that we can do anything, any victory, any achievement. So I am light years from what I ought to be. I don't know if you would be able to say that with me this morning. I say this about yourself. I am light years from what I ought to be and what I could be. And by God's grace, what I will be. I heard Adrian Rogers say, I'm like the old cowboy who said, I ain't what I ought to be, and I ain't what I'm going to be, but thank God, I ain't what I was. Amen? Psalm 123, verse 1, except the Lord build the house. That's a key phrase, except the Lord build the house. Who builds the house? Who builds anything? Who builds our home, our government, our church? Who's in control? Ultimately, God is. But we need to let him, we need to let him have every piece, every aspect of our will. We need to surrender to the Lord. Amen? Amen. We have a free will. That's what has uh, muddled things up. It's not God's fault that we're in the predicament that we're in. People blame God for all of the, the bad things that go on, all of the tragic events, all of those things. That has man's fingerprints all over it. Every, uh, every uh, evil deed that has ever been committed has man's fingerprints attached to it. That is not God. That's man's will. Man doing what man wants to do. But we see in Psalm 123.1, it's the Lord that's going to build Except the Lord build the house. Whose church is it? It's the Lord's church, amen? And who's going to build the church? Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not man's church. This is God's church. It's not man's home. It's God's home. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If you want to take credit for your kids turning out, be careful. Be careful. It's only by God's grace. It's only his mercy it's in spite of us that God, God has done this. It's in spite of us that your children have turned, turned out. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, that'd be a great verse to underline. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. That statement is a universal statement. Accept the Lord. Accept the Lord. It's designed to indicate universal dependence on God in any undertaking. So who built the temple? The first temple. Who built that? Solomon. Solomon. All right. Before they had a temple, they had the tabernacle, right? Who, uh, who was the last king? To, uh, to have the tabernacle. That was David, right? David's son was Solomon, King Solomon. King Solomon built the temple. And uh, he uh, didn't physically himself build the temple. He hired people to do it. Uh, he knew it would be a great undertaking. And so he hired a general contractor, a man named Hiram. He was capable. If you're going to build anything... 
you have to know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, you pay somebody who does know what they're doing, amen? How many of you ever started a project where you thought you knew how to do something and you realized very quickly, I don't know how to do this and I'm not asking for hands, I just need, you're with me, right? You've started something, you tore it apart. Maybe Richard, you were working on a car. Now I, don't, I, know, I know Richard actually is capable of, of fixing things, okay? But you might have started a project and now you've got a, an engine out, a transmission back here, and uh, you're saying, I don't know how to fix this problem. I don't know how to remodel a kitchen, but somehow I, I ripped out all the cabinets and the plumbing, and we're, we're doing this, okay? But for most people, you have to hire somebody, and hopefully they're capable to fix that or to build whatever it is that you're having built, but if you're going to build a family, it's important that you have a good general contractor. The Lord is the builder. Amen? But you have to let the builder be the builder. You know, um, my father-in-law, his dad, my wife's grandpa, he had three boys. My father-in-law has two brothers. She has three or two uncles. And those three boys... They, uh, anytime their dad had somebody come to the house and repair something, work on something, he said, I'll hire you as long as you let my sons help you, or at least watch you. And that's how they learned how to do a lot of things. They were the helper. They helped out. And um, there's been times, though, where... Uh, you know, you're working on something and there's somebody that comes along. Some of you men know this problem. You know, maybe Richard, he's on there working on his 1965 Galaxy 500, uh, you know, with the white Corinthian, what color was it? He has all these things. He tells me about this. Yeah, white Corinthian color, black leather and all that, inter vinyl interior. I don't know if they had leather on that one, but, you know, you're working on your car and then somebody comes over and talks to Richard and says, now what are you doing there? I don't think you should do that, Richard. And, you know, Silas, my son, comes, I don't think you should do that, Richard. And Richard says, you don't know what you're doing. I've done this a thousand times. Who do you think you are? I know how to fix this car. And Silas says, you don't know what you're doing, Richard. And uh, I know how to do this. I watched a YouTube video. I know exactly how to fix this problem here. You got to let the capable person do the job. You can't interject. You can learn sometimes. Maybe, maybe there's some things that you can pick up on, but it's not your job. If, you, if you're not the one hired or the person that's been assigned to do that task, it is not your job to take over and override what, what that person is doing. If they're the contractor, they've been contracted to do something, let them do the job. You might say they're not a capable contract. Well, you'll get your day in court, I guess. I don't know. Fire them if they're not that good. But the Lord is the master builder. The Lord created this world perfect. He created us. He's capable of fixing the problem. Let him fix the problem. Solomon let Hiram build the temple. When Solomon built this temple, the Bible says he built it out of rocks that were uh, mined from underneath the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says that they were built, or they built the temple without the sound of a hammer. 
They went down into those rock quarries and they carved out these massive stones which became the foundation for Solomon's temple. They knew what they were doing. They did a masterful job. Let the builder do his job. There's two basic directions you can turn when it comes to what will be your source of authority when it comes to the home, to the family. And I'm really not just preaching to the dads. I really want to just preach to everyone, okay? Because I know that sometimes on moms, Mother's Day we focus just on the moms. On Father's Day we focus just on the dads. Pastor King one time said when he was a pastor up in Oshkosh, there was a man in the church that came up to him and said, I'm not coming to Father's Day service anymore. He said, why not? He said, because on Mother's Day, we give the moms flowers and we, we preach a feel-good sermon for the moms and you know, we make them feel loved and appreciated. And on Father's Day, we get a book and we get a sermon on what we're doing wrong. <laughs> so I try not to do that too much on Father's Day. But I, I want us to understand that as a, as a parent or even just a person, a Christian, we need to have the right of, uh, authority for our, 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 our foundation, for what we're trying to build as a Christian. Every family is built on some source of authority. Either it's built on the culture or it's built on the word of God. We can turn to the culture some people, even Christians, use celebrities to be the standard uh, for, the, for how they're going to live their life. The media, entertainment, they're drawn to all of those things. It looks glamorous, it's exciting, it's fun. But uh, there is definitely a concerted effort to destroy the family. And those who are wise realize that, uh, that Satan has infiltrated Hollywood the media, all of these things that are able to package something to look so good. It's like, um, it's like um, you know, that fruit that sits on the table that never goes bad. You ever seen that at Ikea or wherever? You go to the, the furniture store, and they've got that plastic fruit there. Yeah. It looks good, doesn't it? I, I heard from, in the police department, the property manager, before they had DNA... Uh, doing a, able to do all the forensics with the DNA, they would still keep things from crimes. And this one crime in particular, it was a, a, I believe it was a homicide, and they kept, back in the 80s, they kept a, I think it was a big, or no, it was a Big Mac from McDonald's. They kept a meal from McDonald's that was, they found in this car, and it was downtown in the property um, storage and not that long ago, they got that out of storage, and they were able to find DNA on that burger, half-eaten burger, and they caught somebody with that. And, uh, you know, um, I was going to talk about burgers, I think. I can't remember where I was going to go to with this, but the, uh, uh, the standard, uh, the, uh, uh, my word, I don't even know where that came from. Where was I? Huh? Oh, the fake fruit, yeah. Sorry. But you know, they can make that look so appealing. You, they, there's guys that their whole job is to, uh, to market uh, the food, you know, and to, and to make the, the food look really good for commercials. But then you, get, you go to McDonald's and you get that Big Mac, which I don't really care for Big Macs, but maybe you do, or the Whopper, right? 
And you get that thing, and you're like, it didn't look this way when it was advertised on TV. It doesn't look as good in person, does it? And, it, you know, it looks better when it was on TV. Or the fake fruit, you're like, you take a bite of that, and you find out it's really not real. But that's what's going on in the culture. The devil is good at marketing things. The culture is alluring. But you take a bite, and you realize, ah, it's not what I thought it was. The standard in today's culture is the, I don't even need to list all the families, but you know the names, all of the drama out there. The world would have you believe that's the way a family is supposed to function, to be dysfunctional. Somehow that's how it's supposed to be. That's not God's idea of the home. There's a mocking of morality. There is even a belittling of the institution of marriage. They made fun of Mike Pence because he just had a rule that he would not go out to eat with a woman who was not his wife. He would not be alone with a woman who was not his wife. And the media just mocked him for that. But I will say this. There's a lot of other politicians who probably should have followed that uh, standard. That was his personal choice, right? But... They mock morality. They belittle the institution of marriage and the family. And that's what's being fed to our children, what's being fed to us constantly. You hear things, whether it's through social media or TV or at work or uh, in the neighborhood. And uh, the world can become, the, the culture can become our source of authority. And if you do that, you're headed for difficult days. If you... As a young person, don't become wise and realize that the culture is what it is and it's going to be corrupt, it's going to be alluring. Yes, it looks good, but it is, it is not real. It's shallow. You need to become wise to that. You need to turn to the Lord. Genesis 2, now we're back to Genesis 2 and we're going to finish up here. Genesis 2.18, the Bible says... The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Here's a key phrase. I will make. The first family was formed by God. It was sanctioned by his authority. We need to build on his foundation. Number one, we need a God-ordained foundation. God said, let us, I will make, right? I will make him a helpmeet for him. Marriage is a divine institution. Man didn't create marriage. Man wants to change and de redefine marriage, but man didn't create marriage. So they're having kind of a hard time doing that, aren't they? But that hasn't uh, caused them to stop. They continue to push forward with this, this uh, horrible agenda. Because marriage was God's idea, we shouldn't go to the culture for instruction. You need to go to God's word to figure out how to have the right foundation for your marriage, for your life. I mean, you can really apply this to anything. Man didn't create life. They're trying to. They can't figure it out. They really don't understand how it all works because it's miraculous. It's God's creation. 
So God is the authority on all of these things. So go to God, go to the author of the book. In his word, in the Bible, we have principles and promises, precepts that we can follow to have a good family, to have a good life as a believer. If you have a God-oriented foundation and you, get your, uh, you build your convictions on the word of God, you get your direction from the word of God, then you're gonna have the right authority as a mother or a father. God has to be that final authority. Number two, we need to have a goal-oriented foundation, not just a God-ordained foundation, but a goal-oriented foundation. God gave Eve to Adam. They were brought together as husband and wife. And then... Adam says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. The goal is oneness. That's the goal, the goal-oriented foundation. Unity in the home, oneness. Moms and dads, you need to be together on decisions. You might say, well, it's not that important. You know, I'm just kind of... I just take a back seat, let, let her make some of those decisions, let her be in charge of all of that, or I'll just take charge and not let her have any say-so. That's not biblical. There, you are one flesh. You need to be together, to be unified in all things, especially when it comes to raising children. What's gonna happen is that you're gonna have one child pit one parent against the other if you're not together. That is a recipe for disaster. Be together, be together. Um, I'm gonna skip ahead here very quickly. Number three, we need a grace-ordained foundation. Of course, we know that uh, the togetherness is uh, echoed throughout Scripture. Even Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse six, wherefore they are no more twain, one flesh, what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder that goal is unity. Number three, grace ordained. Genesis 2, we're back to Genesis 2, verse 25. And this is the verse that I didn't get to earlier. We read verse 24. There shall, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. But unfortunately, they did not live happily ever after. In chapter 3, we get to the fall of man, right? And um, in Genesis 3.10, we see that uh, Adam says to the Lord, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And uh, why did they hide? They were, uh, they were married. They were one flesh in chapter 2. And like I said, they didn't live happily ever after because of something happened in chapter three. Why did they hide from God? Because they realized that they uh, were now sinners, right? Did you know that if, you, if you're married, you married a sinner? You didn't marry somebody. I know you thought they were perfect. I know you thought that they could do no wrong. And maybe you married a real good one, you know, a real good sinner. And uh, in, in maybe in... Maybe he or she does not sin as much as others, but still they are a sinner. 
and um, your spouse will battle temptation to do things they shouldn't. Maybe they struggle with anger. Maybe they blow up. Maybe they struggle with other temptations. But you have married a sinner. And um, your children, if you didn't know it already, I know some of you have little, little babies there. I think Brother Ben, but he even knows, he understands, because he was a sinner, he knows that even Annie's a sinner, right? And uh, little sweet Lauren, hate saying it, but only a few days old. She's born into this world of sinner, like all of us. Your children, and some of you that say, yeah, my children are three years old now. They are sinners. I do know that. That is definitely, that was right on, that was, you hit that right on the, the nail on the head there. But your children will battle temptation. They're going to struggle, and you're going you're gonna to have a struggle handling their flesh and handling their, their sin nature. They're going to act bad. But on this foundation of God's word and your foundation of, uh, 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 of being unified and you're together, that's the goal, right? As parents and even as, uh, as husband and wife, you need to be unified. You're one flesh and uh, you're a family now. But on this foundation, you need to also remember that even though God wants us to follow his word and he expects us to do right and to obey him and for children. You say, well, parents, yes, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And we can beat that over their head and uh, we can preach that to them day in and day out. But God also wants us to not forget that he is a God of mercy and a God of grace. And remember, if it wasn't for his help, we could not do anything. You that have, uh, have been able to break through and have had victories in your life and have been victorious over temptation, and you have uh, been able to, uh, to, to win and, and defeat those uh, addictions that you've struggled with, you have to remember, it's only by God's grace that I've done anything. And it's only going to be by God's grace that you're going to be able to have the kind of home that God wants you to have. And you have to remember that in the home, there needs to be grace between each other. We need God's grace, but we need to be gracious to one another as well. Genesis 2.25, we saw that, uh, that uh, or, or Genesis 3.10, there, uh, there was sin in the world now. There was a need for grace. Man... Uh, uh, does things to man. Man is evil. Your children, although I know we joke around with them being sinners, but they really are sinners. They're going to do some things that are just plain wrong and maybe evil in your eyes. And we get, we get uh, upset with them or upset with our spouse and we say, uh, you know, that's it, I've had enough. But remember what the Bible says, the Lord uh, wants to be merciful. He is a God that will judge the sin. He will judge the quick and the dead. There's coming a day where all the sin will be dealt with. He's not, uh, he's not asleep. He knows what's going on. But God wants to show mercy and grace, and he wants us to do the same thing. 
to not come down on people in our home, to not come down on people in our church even, to not come down in judgment on people in our communities. We need to love the sin, but hate, uh, love the, sorry, love the sinner, but hate the sin, right? And you're like, oh, pastor, we go in the wrong direction here. And, uh, but no, we need to love the sinner, but hate the sin, amen? And I, I, don't love, I don't love what they're doing. I, I abhor what some of these people are doing, especially in the month of June. And it's, they're parading all of this junk out there. You see signs on the streets that say, enjoy your pride. But you know, the Bible says that pride cometh before destruction and haughty spirit before a fall. And we see that this wicked, wicked, depraved culture is doing all of this garbage and all of this junk. And they're flaunting it in front of everyone. They're, trying to, they're, 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 they're crying out for acceptance. They're crying out for real love. Up, but they're not getting that. And the, and, and the more that they, uh, they, they push towards that agenda and the more that they, they are, are seeking that acceptance and the less they're getting and the less satisfaction that there is. And so they become more, uh, more open with all of this. I hate it. I hate it. God hates it. But you know that God loves those people? He hates what they're doing. And all the while he said, my son, Jesus died on the cross for them. How on earth can you uh, observe this and still have a heart of love for it? I don't know, but God does. And he wants us to have that kind of heart for people. He wants to have that kind of heart for people in our community, in our church, in all of these institutions, as w- the home as well. Some of you might say, well, my my marriage is so broken, Pastor, you don't even know what they've done. You don't know what my children have done. You don't know what my parents have done. And that's probably, that last one's probably the biggest one, to be honest with you. So many people have been uh, hurt by a mom or a dad or a relative. But grace means that you don't get I'm sorry, that you get what you don't deserve, and mercy means that you get what you don't deserve, or what you don't get what you do deserve. And we're all salvageable. We all can be saved by God's grace. God can change you. By the way, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're really a Christian. Just adding the name Christian to your life, say, well, I'm, I'm not, you could just go on Facebook or social media or wherever you could put that, you know, I'm a Christian. That's my religious views. No, following Jesus Christ as a believer means that you come to him in repentance and said, I am a, I am a, I am a sinner. I don't deserve salvation. You've at least acknowledged it. You don't deserve this. You realize that you have a need. That's what all of that is, is that not, not coming to him in pride, but coming to him in, that, in, a, in a, your hour of need and saying, I am a sinner. And Jesus died on the cross for me. Receive that free gift of salvation. Not adding to your life some kind of, uh, you know, this is a new, this is the new me. My friend, Jesus has to come into your life. You know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are come. It's not you turning over a new leaf. Not you uh, getting a haircut or something, you know, getting a new outfit. No, it is you being changed from the inside out, and only God can do that. You have to come to him in that, uh, in that humility, knowing that you need to be saved. That's why he allows us to go through things that break us at times, that cause us to look up, 
rather than to keep looking at ourselves. I talked to an officer in the police department this week, and I told him I was a believer. And he pulled out of his bag a book about Jesus, and he says, you like to read? I was like, that's so awesome. You know, this guy who's, I think he is the guy that has the most seniority on the police department. He came on in the 80s, and he still works in the police department. And um, he, he, uh, he, he says, you know, I've got this book about Jesus, which is great. But um, he, said, uh, he said, what are you doing here? I told him I was a pastor. I said, I just want to help our community. I, I, I want people to hear the gospel. And he says, you know what? So when I'm out there in the community arresting people, you know, and uh, seeing people on their worst day, he said, I've told them, you know, you've tried everything else. I think you need to, you need to find Jesus. You need to find God. And he said, you need to find Jesus because nothing else has worked. He says, you won't believe this, but they'll say, you know, I think you're right because they've come to the end of themselves. We go through some of the things that we go through because God says, I need you to be broken so that you stop trying to fix yourself and you realize you can't fix it and you have to look to someone else. Unfortunately, that has driven people to drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other things. People are filling their life with all of this stuff, trying to find love and trying to find something that'll, that'll numb the pain. But only Jesus and salvation uh, from our sin, being freed from that burden, is what's going to fix that. So that grace-oriented family, dads, you need to let your children make some mistakes, okay? I understand that we need to be, be the dad. Be, be strong. Be firm. Be the authority that God's called you to be. Be the leader that God's called you to be, number one. And that means that you have to be doing right yourself. See, that's one of the hardest things about being a leader is that everyone's looking at you and looking to see if you're really, if you're really who you say you are. Dads, your children are, when they're little, they think, in most situations, they think dad could do no wrong. Mom can do no wrong. Mom and dad are perfect. But once you get to be about seven years of age, eight, nine, and you know it, some of you that have kids that are teenagers now, there comes a point where they, they begin to test you and they begin to rebel and they begin to point out inconsistencies and hypocrisy and they are so keen because they're with you all the time. They know who you really are. So as a leader, as a dad, be, be real, be a leader. You know what? We understand and I believe that God, God realizes this. He gave us a wor- his word because we need help. He realizes you're not perfect. You are born again. Yes, you're set apart spiritually, but you are on this journey of sanctification. And there's times where you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have, have uh, times where you, are, you need God's grace. Amen? Amen? But be real. When you, when you cover up sin, when you cover up your mistakes... When you get angry and you become filled with pride, you're not willing to, to, uh, to go to your children and even apologize. Yes, apologize to your children for things that you've done wrong. 
do that. God will bless it. He was like, well, then they're not going to think I'm perfect. They already know the truth. <laughs> they already know. I think you're deceiving yourselves if you think for some, some reason that your 15-year-old kid still thinks you're perfect. But you know what? They, they respect a father who is willing to admit his mistakes, and a mom, for that matter, too. Any relationship, if you're just honest, people know the truth. Nobody said anything. It's because they're afraid to say something or they don't want to be rude to you. People know when you've made mistakes. If you're a boss or if you're in that kind of leadership, just be willing to admit, I've done something wrong here. Fix it, move on. If you want to build a family with that firm biblical foundation, you need that grace. Forgiveness is hard sometimes, but when there's genuine repentance and there's remorse over sin, there can be room in our families for genuine forgiveness and restoration. I think of the prodigal son, and we don't have time for that. I, I, I have that in my notes here, but we will not go over that. But the prodigal son, what did he do? He, he messed up big time, but he had, a, he had a great dad. His dad was waiting for his son to come home. Some of you have prodigal children. They might even be still um, in your life in some way or another, but they're not doing right. There's a, a strain in the relationship somehow. Whether it's between them and the Lord or them and you, somehow there's something wrong. Do not go into the far country with them. Don't chase after somebody who's doing wrong and participate in those things that are wrong with them because that just now... Now you're doing wrong yourself, but you're not going to be able to bring them back if you're going with them. They're not going to have any desire to come home. Be real. Be the person that God called you to be. Maintain the convictions that God has instilled in you. But have a heart of love and forgiveness and grace for those who come back. You know, people, people who know they are loved, even though they might go down that wrong path, they might go into it, they might go headlong down the wrong path. But if they know that back home, I don't agree with what, I, I don't have their convictions, I don't want to do what they tell me to do. But you know what? Mom and dad do love me. That does something in the heart of the prodigal child. That brings conviction, as well as the Holy Spirit's working on, but he, he will use that truth. Mom and dad are, are who they have always been. They're consistent, but they love me. Don't change who you are. 